Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In July, we launched a new series called Making Her Story, where we interview prominent Connecticut women about their lives. Today, we bring you an interview with Carolyn Kwan that we taped before an audience earlier this month at the Warner Theater in Torrington, Connecticut. In 2011, Kwan became the first female music director of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. Two years ago, she renewed her contract and says she's committed to staying in Hartford, a place she says is home. I asked her how she ended up in New England, far from her native Taiwan. When I first came to America, I was uh, 14 years old. I went to North Philmont Herman School, which is in Massachusetts, north of um, Connecticut. And then I went to Smith College. So when Hartford Symphony was looking for a music director, I thought, wow, I mean, this feels like homecoming to me. And uh, this was always the place I feel like, you know, if, if I could have um, my pick of the first place I could be a music director, it would be the Hartford Symphony. When you uh, talk about being a music director, for our audience who may not have seen uh, the Hartford Symphony Orchestra or see you in a performance, tell us what you do. Well, I do a lot of things. <laughs> I spend a lot of time studying music and trying to get into a composer's head, you know, try to understand what he or she is trying to say and sort of like recreate um, what the composer is trying to bring to the world. And not all conductor believes that. Um, some conductor feels is, you know, they should improve upon the composer's work. And I'm more of a, you know, I feel like I have a lot of respect for the composer and I want to try to get into their head. I want to be as close to the composer as I can and try to bring um, their work to life and share it with people. So that's one part of my job, and of that's the artist-conductor part of my job. Now, as a music director, I'm also responsible for deciding what music to play, uh, along with my artistic team, and um, I'm also responsible as a leader for the Hartford Symphony Orchestra as an organization, and and many other things, such as also being an advocate for arts, for music in Hartford, in Connecticut, and other places. So you know, there's a lot to it. How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> exactly one hour. <laughs> well, tell us about a typical day for Carolyn Kwan. Oh my God, there is really no typical day. I mean, first of all, I, I don't always even know where I'm going to be. So as, the, as a conductor, um, I'm here in Hartford some of the time as a music director. And um, part of what I do also is to conduct orchestras um, around the country um, and internationally. So I could be here, I could be somewhere else. And depending on the orchestra, sometime rehearsal starts at 10 a.m. Uh, sometime rehearsal starts at 7 p.m. And if I'm conducting an opera, um, we could start at 9 o'clock and go until 11 p.m. And uh, if I'm here in town, sometimes I'm going to, um, I have meetings, I meet with other arts leader, I meet with our donors, I have the privilege to come here and share um, my, our story with you, and uh, there is really no typical day. You mentioned guest conducting, most recently with St. Louis Symphony Orchestra? Uh, the St. Louis Opera, actually, yeah. yes, uh, which actually uh, uses um, part of, um, in, the, in the pit is the St. Louis Symphony. 
So how do you get those gigs? You must be pretty good at your job. <laughs> well, I think I mean it's a it's a little bit of word of mouth. Uh, I do have a manager, but a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, you know, people hear about you. Uh, people have seen your work somewhere else. Um, you know, somehow people call you and say, "Would you be interested in coming to guest conduct and share your music and artistic vision with us?" When did you find yourself drawn to music? Let's go way back oh to your your childhood in Taiwan. Uh, so I I was born in Taipei, Taiwan. My family's actually from Guangzhou in China, and uh, so growing up. Um, we actually, I think we spoke Cantonese at home, you know, of course, school spoke Mandarin. And like any good Asian girl, I, you know, you, you learn to play the piano um, because parents want you to be able to have many different skills in terms of, you know, being able to get married off well later. But actually, um, the piano actually is a lovely story in the sense that my brother got uh, wanted a piano for his 10th birthday. And, and he got a piano for his 10th birthday. And being the young little sister I was, I was, I was um, I'm five years younger than my brother. And I quickly convinced my parents that I'm going to be the next pianist, great pianist, so I have to play the piano. So my, po my lovely brother decided to share his piano with me. I don't know, willingly or not. <laughs> So you were pretty. You did pretty well playing the piano growing up. You know, I, I don't know. I um, I remember thinking it's fun. I remember thinking it's a little lonely. I remember just you know I I have a little bit of ADD. I, I joke that um, when it comes to instruments, in the sense that I liked a lot of different things. So I played piano um, since I was five and continue throughout. That would be my main instrument. But I also did um, a few years of violin, a couple of years of flute. Um, I sang seriously. I wanted to be an opera singer for about 10 years or 12. Um, God, what else? I think I did harp for a few years, and I joked that I did trumpet for a day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there was some composition in there somewhere. So in some way, it was perfect that I ended up as a, as a conductor. But um, I do have a musical... Um, member of our family. My uncle on my mother's side is um, a Chinese pop star. Interesting. Yes. Do um, you have the, his CD? Uh, I do, not with me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but on my, on my, dad's, my dad's absolutely um, lovely. I love my dad, mm -hmm. um, but I have a wonderful story with dad is that, mm -hmm. you know, I was um, practicing these piano exercise, you know, very simple, you know, just really basic exercise. And my lovely father would come by and say, what is that great piece of music you're playing? <laughs> <laughs> when they learned about your dream of being an opera singer, what did they think about that? You know, I don't think, uh, my father was never the type of person to speak much. And, uh, but I knew that my father, my mother was not super happy about me being a singer. Um, my mom passed away when I was um, 18, but I do remember pa shortly before she passed away, um, she came to my graduation, my high school graduation, and my voice teacher at the time actually, you know, sort of put a special recital together just for my parents, really, so that they could hear me sing. And, you know, I remember afterward going up to my mom, and, she, you know, she was, 
happy but concerned. You know, I, I she was. I'm pretty sure she would not want me to be a um, be a singer. Mm. Uh, but makes sense. I mean, most Asian parents, you know, I imagine. Yeah, they weren't like Lucy. Yeah. We really want you to be a journalist, right? That wasn't <laughs> <laughs> like I, I thought I was. <laughs> I thought I was going to be an investment banker of some sort. So. So if you weren't a conductor today, you'd think you'd be the investment banker? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think had I not gone into um, conducting, I would have been in some kind of environmental something, doing something for the environment. I should ask what your brother does today. My brother is a banker. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned briefly that you went to boarding school in Massachusetts. Yeah. Talk about that journey from Taiwan to Massachusetts. How did that happen, and what was that like? It was, I mean, I, I honestly think had I not come to America, I would not have become a conductor. Just that was not, um, not even in the realm of possibility. Um, so my middle school and my high school were sister schools for about, I don't know, three, four years, a short period. And what that meant was my high school, Northfield Mount Herman School, um, actively came to Taipei to my middle school to recruit students. And I was one of the few sort of selected to come summer study uh, after my seventh grade. And what that meant was coming to the campus at Northfield Mount Herman School and study English for two weeks, and then being on a trip to Disneyland and other places. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll never forget the very first day in class, um, the teacher said, you know, feel free to ask questions. And it completely, it was like a light bulb went on, and you know, it was, absolutely amazing to think that you can ask questions for someone like me at the time as a 14-year-old as a because uh, growing up in Taipei, the education is very much memorization-based. You're told here's what you need to learn, you learn it, you don't ask questions. Um, so I remember just being so in awe of the education system here and how you learn here and the kind of creativity that the teacher in um, in encourages and so I kind of secretly applied to the high school behind my parents back and I was very rebellious at the, um, as a 14 year old I got in and you know I announced to my parents I was leaving um, but ultimately they were they were supportive you went on to graduate and then you chose a Massachusetts school uh, I want to go to Smith College uh, I did not get in, actually. I went to Smith College, uh, so I applied to Smith because a lot of my um, influential teachers in high school w went to Smith. I did not get in, but uh, being the stubborn person I am, I reapplied right away and got in as a sophomore. And fascinatingly, I often do events for Smith College now, and I always make sure I tell people that I actually didn't get in the first time. <laughs> <laughs> So, and then from there I went to University of Illinois and then Peabody Conservatory. But when did you get on the conductor track, so to speak? You know, I really never thought I would be a conductor. So conducting was this thing that I just didn't understand. I mean, what is this? It just looks like someone's waving their arms. You know, it looks simple. What is the person doing? And so, I mean, like, Mathematics made sense to me. Economics made sense to me. I, I wanted at some point to be a triple major and study computer science. That made sense to me. Music, the more questions you ask, the more answers you get and the more questions you have. So, you know, I just wanted to know what it is about. 
Um, so because I, w I play the piano, I help the Smith College Choir with sectional. So what that means is you take the, the sopranos away, you, you know, get to know the notes, and because Smith College is very small, the conductor brought me in to sort of do sectionals for the orchestra. And one day I came to school, um, the teacher said one of the alums decided to give four students uh, financial support to go study music in the summer and since I was doing so much helping with the orchestra and the choir I should go study conducting and I actually came here uh, to hard school back then there was a conducting institute program right um, and so you know so you you start to learn about it and then when an alum gives you money you have to have something to show for so they put me in front of an orchestra and I conducted had no idea what I was doing um, and then um, apparently I did well enough that uh, Susan Rose um, is um, our, our, the person who supported the program said, you know, you should go to grad school. And even throughout grad school, you know, you just, it feels like it's like, conducting is one of those things you can't possibly know what it is until you really are doing it. So you learn by doing. So if you think about it, a pianist can practice all day, you know, you can practice the piano. A violinist can practice the violin. A conductor really can only practice the con conducting in front of an orchestra. And how often do you get an orchestra to practice on? Um, so I would say even, so even at Peabody and until I got my first job with the New York City Ballet, I wasn't sure this is what I would do. It just seemed like this thing that I didn't quite understand that I w keep wanting to learn. So I keep telling my father um, when I graduate from Smith College that I will go home after I do this two year at Illinois. And then after Illinois, I told my dad, dad that, you know, let me go to Peabody for two more years. You know, let me do this and then I won't have any more regret. I will come home and be a banker. And <laughs> then I got a job with City Ballet. You know, finally I have a job. But you, you're conducting the ba ballet dancers for the first time. You're still learning what this is about. I want to say it wasn't until I became the music director of Hartford Symphony, I finally told dad that, you know, I think I'm going to. I'm a conductor now. <laughs> I think I'm not going home. <laughs> That's Carolyn Kwan, music director of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. I spoke to Kwan earlier this month as part of Where We Live series, Making Her Story, where we interview prominent Connecticut women. After the break, we'll learn more about what it's like to lead an orchestra and whether the music world has become more welcoming to female conductors. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, and this is Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The Hartford Symphony Orchestra is in its 74th season. Carolyn Kwan has been the HSO music director since 2011. As part of Where We Live series, Making Her Story, I spoke to Kwan before an audience at the Warner Theater in Torrington. I asked her what it's like to lead an orchestra. To become a music director of an orchestra, you will have had to be, in my case, I was the, my very first job was with the New York City Ballet as a resident conductor. And then I went to North Carolina Symphony to be an assistant conductor, where my job was taking the orchestra all around the state, conducting concert for fourth grader. I was then associate conductor for the Seattle Symphony for three years, uh, and in the meantime, conducting all over the world. Um, so by the time I was a music director, I became the music director, I know a lot about this job, even though, you know, it, 
I joked that I wasn't quite sure I was um, I was going to stay in America and not go home. <laughs> but um, you really, I mean, I don't think it was. It's something you really learn a lot um, as you sort of gather experiences. Is there a natural high when you're up there, connecting with the musicians, oh, hearing the music? It's always a high. I mean, you know, how do you know when a performance is touching people? How do you, you know, you know, the the athlete talks about being in the zone. So for musicians, there's something similar as well. Like there's sometimes you're just in the zone. You you feel. I mean, the the amazing thing about being a conductor is you don't make any sound. Like, I can wave my arms all around, there's no sound happening. Um, so really, for music to happen, I have to really somehow try to understand what the composer is trying to say. Somehow get that excitement, get that passion, or get whatever it is the composer is trying to say, share that with the musician. And somehow they have to then take that in and then give it to the audience. And so. I mean, it's always amazing. It's always a privilege to be able to make music, but there are just those moments sometimes that you can feel the entire orchestra, you know, is together, is with each other, and along with that, with the audience, and that is an incredible feeling to feel like you're moving. Someone else is moved there, and you can feel it. I mean, people, audience, often feel that listening to a concert is a passive experience. It's not. Um, those of us that are on stage can absolutely sense your energy. Even all of you here, you know, I can sort of sense your energy whether you're interested or bored. Um, hint, hint. <laughs> um, but you know, it's 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 a it's it's really uh, when it's amazing. It's you know, it's there's no war for it. Since you you began at Hartford Symphony Orchestra. Um, there are the the master works uh, yeah. that you perform, but you're also delving into more contemporary uh, work. Uh, talk about that balance, because there, if someone who is a frequent, if they go often to the orchestra, are they looking for that traditional experience, or do they want someone to experiment and to give them maybe a different point of view, a different artist they may not have heard of? When you're the music director, you're really thinking about the audience's experience. What kind of experience? do the people here in Torrington and Hartford and Glastonbury, whoever that may be coming to our concert, what kind of experiences are they looking for? So as music director, I think a lot about, you know, what people might want to hear. And then also taking on the responsibility as sort of a curator, like curating an experience for our audience. So what does that mean? That means, you know, I used to joke that, um, we certainly have audience member who feel like, you know, who's more like my grandmother. Um, you know, I know what I like and I like what I know. <laughs> and then we have um, people that really want to experience new things. You know, that they don't want to hear the Beethoven symphony again. They want to hear something new. So how do you constantly balance all of these different needs? And, you know, and then of course we have a pop series. We have, you know, it's not just masterworks we do. We, you know, we have Harry Potter. Um, with a movie coming through. Um, so really we try, as, as an arts organization, as a music organization, we're really trying to make sure that in a given season it's a well-balanced program. So constantly we're thinking about what will people want. So it's not just what I want. It's hardly ever what I want. <laughs> it's really more about what I think people will enjoy. 
and also about building trust. You know, I think I've been here for six years and um, I'm very grateful to the audience that they seem to trust me in sharing new things with them. So oftentimes um, we'll have audience members that will say, well, I don't know what that piece is, but you know, if Carolyn is putting on the program, you know, let's go check it out. Um, but also, you know, I think, I don't know what you think about it. I mean, I feel like as a society, as a generation, things are a little bit different than what it used to be. You know, like, I feel like, you know, a hundred years ago, there is, or even, I don't know, 50 years ago, perhaps, there is a thirst for experiencing new things. There is, um, people appreciate intellectual experiences. So people don't always feel like they have to like everything. It's the experience itself mm -hmm. that's fascinating because you can experience something, then you can go and talk about it with your friends. You may not like it, but then you can talk about what you not like about it. And part of that dialogue is what's exciting. And that is constantly what I try to share with people that, you know, come, I mean, life is about experiences. And as an artist, so much of what we try to do is, you know, sort of try to share new experiences with people. I mean, life is short, you know, you want to experience a lot of different things as possible. And music is some of the most direct way to experience new things and new emotions. I ask that question because we hear so often like with what the perception is of classical music or the age range of someone who may go or be a subscriber uh, to the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. Um, there's a challenge uh, of audience. I'm curious how the audience has changed uh, for uh, your orchestra. Uh, do you see numbers uh, shrinking? And you know, how have you adapted over the last six years? I mean, I've only been around for so long, so I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you what this was like um, 20, 30 years ago. But what I've been told is that this is a question every reporter has asked in the last 40 or 50 years. So you have an answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in the sense, I and you know, at the same time, I imagine um, the audience is ebb and flow. I imagine that, you know, it's something we constantly think about. There's no doubt about it. How do we reach new audience? How do we, you know, try to constantly, um, you know, give people what they may want? And so for us, you know, while we continue to do um, great, really masterworks, you know, Beethoven, Brahms, Mahler, Stravinsky, classical music that really speaks to so many of us. At the same time, I personally believe it's really important to experience new things as well. And so some of the ways we do it is by collaboration, actually. I, I am a huge believer of collaboration with other organizations, whether arts or otherwise. So since I became the music director, um, I remember, I, I think it was my first or second year, I was new to Hartford, and the mayor at the time talked about you know, we want more people to come to Hartford to the restaurants. And my, our team, we thought, you know what, let's help. So we collaborated with five different downtown Hartford restaurants at the time. And we went to each one of the chefs and say, you know, tell us about your signature dish. And then I'll come up with music that's inspired by your signature dish. And then likewise, let me share some music with you. Can you create some new dish that's inspired by the music? <laughs> And then at the concert, you know, we have these amazing um, photos of food. You know, I feel so bad for all the audience members that came that didn't eat before. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, we had the chefs there and we talked about food. And there's so many um, parallels between food and 
music. So what that meant was at the concert, we have people who you know, are interested in food coming to the concert for the first time. And uh, likewise, we have our regular um, concert goer who are coming that decide to try out new restaurants. And it's things like this. We're constantly thinking about ways to serve other organizations. I, f I firmly believe that it's our job as arts organizations, certainly as a symphony, to serve the community. And it's not only because it's the right thing to do, but it's also through collaboration and through working with other organizations that we ultimately also bring in new audience. So what that means is also sometimes some concerts uh, throughout the season, some concerts are great for you know the diehards, and some concerts are more. We have new people in mind. So, like the holiday concert, for example, we're thinking about that's for everybody. You know, whether you're three-year-old or ninety-three-year-old, it's a concert you'll enjoy. So, oftentimes, I, I tell um, people who are interested in coming to the concert for the first time that send me a Twitter note, send me a Facebook note. You know, tell me you're coming, and you know we'll figure out what you might like. And you know, come back and see. It's like wine. Like, I think the more you drink and get to know wine, the more you appreciate it's acquired it. Taste. Uh, well, I don't <laughs> think that. I think it's more like it, the the possibilities open up the more you know, right? Um, but so that's really our philosophy of you know constantly trying to reach people through different ways. You are very confident. Who were your mentors? Who gave you that confidence in your ability? Oh gosh, I think it comes from being rebellious, right? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you kind of have to, right? I mean, as a conductor, you're... I don't know what comes first. It feels like a chicken and an egg, right? Like, you almost can't be a conductor without a certain level of confidence and vice versa. I think my mentors are really a lot of different peoples in my life. Um, Mayor also, who is the first um, female to be appointed a conductor of a major symphony orchestra. My music director at the Seattle Symphony, Gerard Schwartz, was very important to me as well in helping me learn how to be an effective music director. Actually, both of them, my music director philosophy certainly were very much influenced by them. Um, but more than that, just like all the people you meet, you know, I think you learn from some of the most unexpected people, you know, like my partner, actually. Um, I absolutely love her, and she has this incredible love of life. I mean, she's, um, she's not here, so I can't, she, she, <laughs> um, she, um, she's, she has a chronic illness that she's in pain almost all the time, and she has these terrible back surgery when she was a teenager. And I mean, for someone who's in pain almost all the time, I don't know anyone else who is more passionate about life than, sh than she is. And you know, every time I come home, and, you know, I'm talking about, God, you know, I, I want to program the better concert. You know, I want to figure out how to get more people to come to the symphony and how to get people to appreciate arts more. And you know, she just looks at me and like, hey, you're making music. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and you know, so I, I really feel like you know, I try to learn from a lot of different people. How do you balance your personal life with the, your professional life? I mean, you're on the road a lot. Yeah. You've got a lot of projects. You lead an orchestra. People are looking up to you. You come home, and it sounds like you and your partner, I mean, she's very supportive. But, I mean, how do you find that balance? How do you have, 
how do you find time to have fun? Before Elizabeth came along, I have no fun. I, <laughs> I, I go home, I study, I do, you know, I'm always working. Uh, since Elizabeth came into my life, we do, she's the fun one, in case you can't tell. She's, she drags me out to dancing. I, I don't like to dance anymore. I used to dance in high school, but, you know, as we get older, we, are, we become more inhibited. And um, so she, I don't have much of a choice anymore. She makes sure I have fun. Um, we cook. I'm learning to cook um, now, and I finally know how to turn on the grill for the first time this summer. <laughs> and... Um, like I said, she's she's the fun one. She makes sure that you know we have other you know non-work experience. But I mean, I think it's both. I mean, you know, I, I just used to think that everything I do is about work, even though when I'm doing non non-work stuff, because I'm thinking, you know, I gotta experience life, I gotta find new experience. So everything is still about work, right? Because every experience I'm having, I'm thinking about how okay, how do I then share this with the audience? You know, so my brain never used to turn off. So it's in some way, I'm still doing things now that are purely for fun now. I wanted to go back to the the confidence question because. It's not always a natural thing, and especially for women who are successful, we often sell ourselves short, or yeah. we are often worried about how others are judging us. And yeah. I'm just curious, as a female conductor, yeah. um, in a world where are women conductors um, not always seen as something that's yeah. desirable uh, versus yeah. a, what a male conductor can bring to an orchestra? I mean, how have you worked past that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Answering question: If w going by your logic, then I, actually I'm not very confident. I I still struggle with all of the those same thing. You know, wondering what people are thinking about, uh, wondering you know if I'm coming across um, the way it should be. So everything you just said is still very much work in progress. As a as a conductor, you don't have a choice. You kind of have to have a thick skin because you just. You know, there's one of you and a lot of other people <laughs> in the in the orchestra. I think you don't think about it actually. I mean, I recognize that you know, the more I do something, the more confident hopefully I will feel. But other than that, I can only be who I am, right? I mean, in if you're asking about you know, do female conductor are female conductors do they work differently than male conductor? Possibly, um, although I tend to th think about it as advantage. So take opera for example. Being when you're working in an opera production, it's a lot of collaboration actually. So it's a, being the the conductor means you're the one that's sort of um, you're the glue that takes ev everything together. You're the one that can see things. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I was conducting the Washington National Opera in a production, and at one point, um, the entire op opera takes place in a boat. And at one point in the opera, this river spirit is supposed to fly in from off stage and land on the boat and start singing. And then as we get there, I see that there's no one flying in. So, you know, you start to slow the temp slow the speed, <laughs> hoping that the person will get there slowly. And, you know, it feels like forever. But eventually the person come in and you start, you know, then you keep going. But so in that sense that you're the person that constantly, for me, it was never about me. So for some conductor, it feels like it's what the maestro wants. Um, for me, I've always had that feeling of, you know, let me 
serve others. I mean, really this idea of making a difference, serving others is, is sort of what's important to me in how I make music. So in that sense, in the opera world, when you have you know singers who, you know, I mean, it's incredible, it's very difficult to be a singer. Their, their instrument is just this little thing in there that's affected by the weather, by the food they eat. And so if they're a little temperamental, it makes perfect sense. You know, how do I support them and help them make the best music possible? So, you know, in the sense that, you know, as a female, you know, our desire to want to um, collaborate, our desire to sort of be the, the person that can smooth things over, you know, is that a bad thing? In, in not always. I mean, I, I actually, in this case, I think it's really good that that's where I naturally am. But are there a situation where I should be more forceful? Probably. But I'm hoping that will come with age. Uh, we were talking earlier uh, off mic about uh, the big five yeah. symphonies and how none of them are led by women. Yeah. Is that surprising to you here in 2017? No, I mean, not really, right? I mean, so there is an ongoing um, bet among a lot of us that, you know, will there be a first female uh, U.S. president or the first female music director of a big five, which is um, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Chicago? And almost all of us uh, think that there will be a first female U.S. president before there will be a first female music director of a <laughs> big five. And, and in part, you think about, I mean, still all the composer... Um, in classical music for the most part that we know of, that most of us can name, are white male. <laughs> um, until very recently, the Vienna Philharmonic, um, one of the most prestigious orchestra in the world, um, still are, were all men. So, I mean, I think it, it takes time. But yes, it's, it's not surprising. And it's, it's uh, I guess it's, um, yeah, it's just not, not surprising. You've mentioned that you are, uh, when you are traveling, you are an ambassador for Hartford. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like the community, uh, local community, could do a better job supporting the work of your musicians? You know, as I go to a lot of different places, the thing that I constantly am thinking about is how amazing our play, Hartford really is. I mean, we have some really fantastic organization, really good music. The Hartford Symphony is really a first-class orchestra. The Wadsworth has some of the most wonderful collection. The New Britain Museum, the Hartford Stage, you know. I mean, we have, in terms of product, we have some fantastic organization producing wonderful, excellent, first-class things. Um, the things that I wish people would do more here is to be proud of it. Bec you, know, you, you, you know, you go to Cleveland. Cleveland has this amazing orchestra. But if you look at Cleveland, <laughs> you know, here in Hartford, I mean, why not be, I mean, I think the challenges were, were between New York and Boston. So people are always talking about, yeah, but the Boston is this way, the New York is this way. But, you know, but most people don't even go to New York or, or, or Boston, you know, support, you know, I just, I wish more people would be proud of what we have here and actively, you know, go to things, support it, talk about it. And that's sometimes the things that um, would, you know, really get others to be more excited about. So, like, you know, because you go to some of these um, 
other countries and you're like wow you know what we have it got you know, I mean, because in my head, I'm always comparing our orchestra with other orchestra that I'm guest conducting, right? And I can't tell you how, how often I'm like, ah, our orchestra's better. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was curious, we had talked a little bit about um, who your mentors were. Yeah. Who are you mentoring? How do you uh, reach out to young women who are either interested in becoming professional musicians or who see you on stage and yeah. think, you know, I want to be like Carolyn Kwong? <laughs> Um, well, a lot of different things. I mean, I luckily Smith College is not very far, so I go back once in a while. Um, we just did a conducting uh, workshop um, up there at Smith College, and um, we had some of the Smith College students coming to uh, work at the Hartford Symphony during as interns. And uh, wherever I go, um, I'm often asked to talk to the local youth. Um, groups and uh, but i actually think you know in terms of and this is true for all of us i think it's a lot of a lot of it's about what we do on a personal on a daily basis you know it's not just you know i'm gonna set out to support young women uh, i think it's about being who you are you know if i see a um one of the audience member that's coming to a concert, you know, I literally, you know, I make a point of going to talk to them and, you know, constantly just, you know, I mean, all of us being, you know, living our life in a way that could be a model to others. And that's true for you, that's true for everybody, all the mothers, you know, I mean, mothers, you know, trying to be an example for those people, um, the younger girls coming up and you know I guess the fact that um, I'm always shy about talking about what I do or you know who I am where I come from but sometimes um, my development director my team at the Hartford Symphony often reminds me that you know you have a responsibility to go out and talk about your journey and what you do and I really also um, feel like it's important to you know as females a lot of time we feel like well you know there can only be one you know, in company situation, well, you know, any situation, there can only be one female anchor. There's, but, you know, the more we actually think about just being there for each other, actually, all of these things, you know, showing the next generation that it's, it's, it's all of us, it's for all of us, it's possible. You're hearing our interview with HSO Music Director Carolyn Kwan on Where We Live. It's part of our Making Her Story series, where we talk with accomplished Connecticut women. More of our conversation after the break. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Our Making Her Story series was taped before an audience at the Warner Theater in Torrington. Today we're bringing you our conversation with HSO Music Director Carolyn Kwan. Our audience had an opportunity to ask her their questions too. Hi there. We are so glad that you both have come here tonight. It's been a wonderful evening. We're all concerned about the budget cuts, the state of the budget, what is going to happen to Connecticut, what is going to happen to Hartford. And I think that it impacts in two areas. 
art in the museums and art as far as music is concerned. Because on the one hand, it's cutting funding, and on the other hand, what is happening to the children in the schools. Many of the museum trips are funded by children paying for the money for the buses to come and for the um, admission. When my children were younger, the classes were always going to the Bushnell. There were always the Friday morning symphonies for the children. And I'm wondering, what is the interaction now between school children, school age, and the symphony? When I take my grandson, I look around and I see many lucky children and grandchildren who are there benefiting from your conducting and your orchestra. But I wonder about all the other children now and what's going to be happening as far as children being introduced to the symphony. You're absolutely right. I mean, and this is not just a recent issue, right? Because, I mean, even, I mean, I don't know, 20 years ago, I mean, there were way more, I mean, there used to be way more uh, music education in schools. I mean, now that, you know, there's far fewer music education um, in school. In fact, for many orchestras, that's when actually um, orchestras decide to do more student uh, education concerts because um, opportunity, music education were being taken out of schools. And so in that sense, we do rely on the community support to help us reach as many people as we can. We continue to do education concerts. Um, we tried, we still, our Harvard Symphony musicians still go to school, but you're absolutely right that our limit, our ability to do, uh, to do as much of it as we like is limited. So fortunately we have donors who are very supportive, who believe in the cause, um, especially in music education, that um, will sp specifically support that and help us make that possible. And we certainly are always thinking about, you know, are there things we can do, you know, more out of the box, ideas that we can do um, to sort of um, facilitate that. But on the main concert stage, that's why you know, we think about, okay, so if we can only do so many concerts specifically for education, then we also need to create concerts that, like you said, that grandparents or parents can feel comfortable bringing their children and to feel that it's supported. Um, so we have like new series, for example, where um, we're starting a new series called the Intermix, which might be taking place at the Real Art Way or, you know, places that actually you can just walk. So the idea for some of these concerts is to break down the barriers so that it's not a situation where you come sit in the audience um, and then we perform on stage. So for the, um, these concerts, literally people are encouraged to walk around the ensemble and really actually, so that if you have young kids, you can come, you, could, they, you know, if they can't sit still, that's okay, walk around. And actually for some of our um, concert, earlier concert, um, some of our audience actually were standing right behind the trombone player and came up to me after and said, wow, I didn't know what that's, the trombone looks like that up, up close and personal and that the music is like that. So we're constantly thinking about ways, you know, that we can do within our budget um, to have opportunity for younger people to come so that, you know, they may not 
be able to sit through a Mahler concert, but they can, you know, come to a holiday concert where people are flying around and seeing this amazing music and um, Cirque performers, or they can come to a, you know, a very intimate concert where they actually get to be right behind the violinist or something. So we're constantly thinking about that. Hi, um, I'm a local music teacher and I also have a master's degree in composition. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to justify the existence of my program to people I work with. Um, so I'm wondering what you would say if you were me and people are questioning, well, chorus, you just sing a couple songs, right? Or do you really need 40 minutes for a band rehearsal? What do you come back and say to that besides, you know, of course I do. I mean, I'm, we're teachers, right? How, how would you justify that? You know, I, I, so there are, two, there are two experiences I had that made me decide really that this is something I may want to do as a conductor. Um, the first time was listening to the end of the Beethoven Symphony 3 Eroica. There was this moment that it just, it was absolutely, Breathtaking. I mean, there are no words. I don't actually have an adjective. You listen to it, it moves you in a way that you didn't even know possible. And that was the first time I thought, you know what? I might want to be, be a conductor and be able to do this. The second one, and I think without this one, I would not be doing this for sure. Um, while I was the assistant conductor for a North Carolina symphony, my job was to conduct... Um, we, we rehearse one program a year, and we take that program throughout the entire state of um, North Carolina and conduct for those concerts for fourth graders. So what that meant was we conducted in a lot of gymnasium. And um, the, the concert I have in mind that really was a pivotal moment was um, we were in this really questionable um, gymnasium, and there were 3,000 fourth graders and you know I mean when we played the concert it was 45 minutes and um, we finished and because when there are 3,000 kids it takes them a while to get to their buses <laughs> and so I walked around and talked to all the kids and these kids I mean not all of them were the same but there were so many of them that just it was like they've never experienced something like this ever. I mean, there's no words you can possibly describe what it's like to have heard the symphony, concert, symphony for the first time. And it's like they just went to a foreign country. They just tasted a new dish they've never tasted before. I mean, there are so many doors and possibility it just opened that there's no... And I just, you know, they're like, I, I love that Beethoven, I hated that Mozart. You know, they have opinion, they have thoughts, and it, mo it, it moved them intellectually, it moved them emotionally, and, and everybody's different. And for those 3,000 kids, not all of them will even hear the second concert. That may be their only concert ever they will hear. And for some of them, we may have planted a seed that they may somehow one day become a music teacher and want to share that feeling and that thought with other people. So what I was, I mean, there are, it's, it's, it's human experiences. If you want, if we want our society to be a healthier society, if we want to encourage um, our children to be more 
creative, more um, to appreciate intellectual curiosity. I personally can't think of a better uh, thing to, to do than to study music. Uh, you know, the one thing uh, we didn't talk about um, is national politics, uh, whether it's uh, uh, cuts, federal cuts to uh, funding for the arts and yeah. humanities, or just hearing your life story, uh, Carolyn, uh, as a, a boarding school student from Taiwan, um, that you felt comfortable enough to apply to a university, a college um, in Massachusetts, in the United States, and that you've been welcomed by this community. And now we hear this rhetoric uh, that if people are not from this country, that maybe it's time to close our borders. I mean, how do you feel about this moment in time? As, as, as an ambassador for arts, for music, for really humanity, for me, you can't feel anything but sadness. And, and you know, a certain level of Anger, I imagine. I mean, but, you know, I think what that for me, you know, I try to do more for, of you know what 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 we do. You know, I I I, I often feel that you know if more people were would listen to music, would appreciate art, the world would be a better place. Um, and I think this is why I love music so much. I think music is about inclusion, right? I mean, it's. It's we don't. It's 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 without a language. You don't need you know, you don't need a language to appreciate it. Somehow we sit in a room, we listen to a piece of, piece of music, and it's a shared experience. It moves us in different ways or in similar ways. And personally, I I can't yet vote. I can't wait to be able to vote. <laughs> um, but for me right now, we can, from my perspective, I can do what I can't to try to make music, try to, you know, do what we can to um, send certain subtle messages. Carolyn Kwan is music director of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks to senior producer Lydia Brown, the Warner Theater, Lynn Gellarmino, Beth Messina, Lisa Rubleski, Audrey Lawrence, Katie Tularski, Carmen Baskoff, and John Olson. For more on our Making Her Story series, visit our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. Thanks for listening.